Welcome to episode 113 of The Space In Between. My name is Phoebe Leona here, and today we will be sitting with Ali Davidson. And this was a really interesting conversation. I really am curious to know how it sits with you. She shares her story of portrayal, and it really shifted my perspective of looking at the stories of betrayal in my own life. So I would be curious to know how it sits with you. Definitely let us know always, whenever these episodes sit with you, leave us a review, leave us a message. You can always comment over at our website. And if you're on Apple, Apple podcast, you can always leave a review. It helps us to reach you uh, on a more regular level. You can subscribe and wherever you're listening to it, we'd love for you to just continue to tune in. Let us know how things are going, how things are resonating with you. It's important. And then also share it. Share this episode if you know somebody who has gone through a betrayal and, and this could help her or him send this out to them, right? All of these episodes are here for you and, and for all of us. So with that, let's go ahead and sit with Allie. All right. So I am here with Allie Davidson, and I'm so grateful that you're here. This is our first time connecting. We connected on a podcast group on Facebook, and we've okay. had a little bit of dialogue. So I am so excited that you're here. First of all, welcome, Allie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So tell us a little bit. First of all, where are you? I am in sunny California. Uh, Are you in Which everybody thinks, isn't that wonderful? But I really wish I had some rain and some winter weather. Where are you? I love this season. I'm in Southern California, near Santa Barbara, in a little town called Camarillo. Okay. Are you in full lockdown right now with California? The pandemic? Pretty much. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we. I go to the grocery store and the, the yeah. pharmacist, and that's pretty much it. Um, yeah. I actually have been living in Oregon for the last thirty years. Oh, and yeah. uh, February of this last year, my my mom fell and broke her hip. And since I have a mobile business, I was able to be the one to come and help her out. And so I came in February, and then COVID hit, wow. and here I am, still a year later. Um, and it's been really good. It's been a wonderful opportunity for us to spend more time together and if I wasn't here it would have made things harder on her being locked down so and me too you know uh so everything happens for a reason really I know that just sounds like divine Mm -hmm. intervention how I've heard so many of these stories too including myself of just being all of a sudden being kind of catapulted into you know different living situations so we're closer to family or, or changing that dynamic in some way right before right. the lockdown. So yeah. interesting. I know. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Yes. And so, so what is your story? Where are, like, we just covered where you are and why you're there, but what are you doing in life? What, what brings you wow. to okay. the in between, the space <laughs> in between? <laughs> well, let's see. I am, um, I am the mother of four adult children who are marvelous. And I, um, I've been a coach and counselor for almost 20, maybe 24 years now. Um, I've also sold real estate and I've also owned a gym for women, a bar and an in-home care agency. So I have been an entrepreneur all my life. Yeah done a lot of different things, but the common theme throughout my life has always been coaching. And even when I own these other businesses, you know, I found that that I always had these opportunities to teach and to coach and to counsel. And um, so that's what I do full time now. And I love it. It's just my calling. And uh, I recently published a book called Born of Betrayal, From Breakdown to Breakthrough. And I was, Spirit led me to write this book. I started it in 2014. I really never intended on publishing it. It was my journey through betrayal. Uh, And then I just felt compelled that this was supposed to get out in the world. So mm-hmm. I published it in November. It's an international bestseller. And um, it, it the, the feedback I'm getting from people is, oh my God, you're telling my story. You're telling mm-hmm. my feelings. I feel like you, I'm writing it, you know. Um, and it, it basically takes 
people from the trail to the uh, the new beginning of a new life. Okay. So. Yeah, that's, wow, that's a lot. I want to hear a little bit more about that story of betrayal, but I'm curious to know, you said you've, you've felt called to be this coach your whole life in various ways through these different roles, as you said, of owning different businesses. Mm -hmm. So did you, did you know that or, or were you sort of thrown into it of every time you're in these different roles, you ended up being a coach and then that light turned, like, what did that look like for you? Yeah, it it was like that. Um, I, I, I let me preface it by saying what I discovered along the way of my life was that there was a common theme, and that theme had to do with power and the right use of power and the wrong use of power. And so uh, very early on in my life, I had experiences that disempowered me. I was... Um, I was a survivor of incest Mm -hmm. and that created a pattern in my life in Mm -hmm. which I could have either been disempowered and gone one way where I was the perpetual victim or I could go the other way where I was the perpetual hero Mm -hmm. and I chose that one. And so as a result, um, my whole life was when I was in high school, I was the kid who broke up the fights. I was the kid who stepped in and said, no, you can't treat somebody like that and advocated for the kid who was being uh, bullied. You know, mm-hmm. um, when I started having children, I, I needed to make money. So I started a daycare in my home so I could be with my children and I could I took care of other people's children. But then I became the advocate for these kids and started to teach people how to be better parents mm-hmm. and um and then my kids went to school and I started selling real estate just because that was another thing that I could do and create my own hours and I found that I was coaching and counseling people to really go deep about what they wanted in their home mm-hmm. and so it's like this common theme right and yeah. and then uh, when my kids were in high school I was the advocate for schools and and I homeschooled for a while and and then um, my, I, my grandmother was a pivotal person in my life and um, it was a situation with her that took me into the home care business and there I became an advocate for seniors and so once I sold that and and uh I just it was just like I just I I don't know it showed up it showed up in everything that I did and so I started counseling in 1997 so that was actually before I became I owned the in-home care agency and I always feel like when when things happen in your life that you go, I don't know, I can't tell you exactly what happened. There wasn't actually a process in my mind. It just showed up. That's when I know spirit is working in my life, right? So I decided I was going to go back to school and finish my psychology degree. And it was online and I hated online. And this was in 97 and I had wow. four small kids. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and suddenly one day this thing shows up on my computer about neuro-linguistic programming, NLP, which is what yeah. like Tony Robbins does. And so I looked into that and that just felt so right that I decided to go and get that training. And that's how I started my counseling practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that, even my book, I, uh, I went to a Louise Hay, I can do it conference. I don't know if you've heard of that. Oh yeah. I and was I actually knew- reading, I was going to hold the book up. It's right there. I can't reach it. Really? Yeah, I'm reading yeah. all your life right now. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's wonderful. Yeah. So I, I, I had, I was my first birthday without children, without a husband after 40 years. It was my first birthday alone after my divorce. And I thought, I can't just sit here and be alone on my birthday. Something special has to happen. And out of nowhere shows this, I can do it conference in San Francisco, eight hours away from where I was at the time, um, on my birthday weekend. And I thought, I'm going to go to that. And I thought, this is something, you know, I didn't, know anything about it, but something special was going to happen. And while I was there, one of the authors, Doreen Virtue, is on the stage doing her spiel. And in the middle of it, she stops everything and says, wait, I have a message. I have a message from Mother Mary and Archangel Gabriel. And it's for a woman here. You got to write a book and it's for women and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, this is it. You know, (laughs) 
<laughs> and she picked me out out of 2,500 people and made me wow. stand up and said, it's you, you are the one, you know? Wow. So those I are the kinds of magical things that have happened in my life. Yeah. yeah. That, um, that are God's way of, you know, tapping me on the shoulder and say this way, kiddo. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I go screaming. I don't always follow, but um, <laughs> I find that when I do, my life works better. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's beautiful. It does. It sounds like you just embodied this this role of coach throughout your whole mm-hmm. life. You just always found what needed, you know, that support, that support system, and you became it. You embodied it in all the ways that you possibly could. And when you were speaking, I almost could feel like, you know, I could see this little version of Allie, you know, this young child of Allie, you know, being that, you know, somewhat of a cheerleader and, and also, you know, being that, you know, warrior for that, that underdog. So, yeah, yeah, that's really beautiful that you might, one of my teachers says, you know, turning your karma into your Dharma, you know, all those hits that we take with the karma, the lessons that we were we were brought into this world to transform into Dharma. And it sounds like you really have owned that uh, your whole life. You know, you had, you had a big hit in the beginning of your life that you've, you have chosen the hero. And I'm, I'm curious if we can go back there a little bit, you know, because you've had this, you had a moment in time or maybe there are several moments as a, a young girl of, of making that choice. Like you said, you could choose being the victim or choose being the hero. And if you have any idea of, of what that looked like for you back then, that conversation you had with yourself or, um, or maybe somebody yeah. told something to you or an experience that you could pass on to us. Sure. Um, the interesting thing you know, we all, <laughs> the way we remember things is suspect, right? Because, um, how we store information, you can have four people see the same event and everybody's going to see it differently, Absolutely. right? Yeah. So we can only tell the story that makes sense to us. Now, whether or not it actually happened that way or not, I don't yeah. know. But what I do remember as a little girl was, um, number one, I, I, I really had a strong connection to God, mm-hmm. um, from the time I was little and we lived in a small little mining town in New Mexico. So it wasn't like we were very big church goers or, you know, we didn't learn the Bible stories, not, not until later on in my life, but I have a very vivid memory too, actually one of praying every night after the lights went out, after everybody thought I was asleep, I would get up and talk to God and, um, and then the other one I have, we, we had a little willow tree in our front yard and I remember being in the in the leaves in the, the branches of the willow tree it was small and covered up and and that was my place to talk to God so I've always felt that 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 connection and I think that's why what initiated this strength in me to to be the hero plus I was the oldest of three children so my in my mind you know taking care of my brother and sister that those were the first two people I needed to protect and Mm -hmm. take care of and I did and because I was the oldest and because I did that I got a lot of accolades right so my family my my school you know everybody say oh good girl good girl you're the leader and so that felt good so these are the ways that our minds take over and we create for ourselves the story that tells us we are yeah but the interesting thing that I learned through my whole experience was that this whole idea of being the hero or the victim you know is the the famous codependent triangle right so you have the hero you have the victim and you have the villain yeah well in order for you to be any part of that triangle you have to draw into your life the other characters Mm -hmm. right so if i am the hero then i will attract victims and i will attract villains because otherwise my story won't make sense yeah and so for a long time that's what i did I, i attracted people who needed me 
needed me to protect them, needed me to take care of them. And for a while that worked for them, but nobody wants to stay in that place. They all want to come out of it, right? Well, the only way for them to come out of their role was to take on another one and push me into another one. And so, you know, for a moment, um, they become the villain. I go from hero to victim to their villain, right? And then I bounce back and say, wait a minute, I don't want to be a victim. Or, yeah, And I so I go into my villain. And now you can see how we move around the triangle. And so when I realized that, I thought, well, there's got to be a way to be without having to play any of those parts, right? Mm-hmm. And at the time, I don't really like the word, but at the time I called it the player because I was totally into the idea that life is a playground and that there really isn't any good or bad except when we make judgment about it. And that if there really isn't any good or bad, then what is it all about? It's just an experience. And if you look at the way children experience life before they're programmed Mm -hmm. to start making judgments about it, they do it from a place of wonder and curiosity and um and there is no there is no good or bad they fall they hurt themselves they cry for a minute but that doesn't stop them from continuing to learn to walk yeah. right like the way we do it today as adults we go well I'll try and oh that hurt I'm not gonna do that again <laughs> you know yeah. that's not the way life's supposed to be so yeah. did I answer your question <laughs> yes I love it uh and I'm I mean I never thought of it in the triangle of codependency of the villain the victim and the hero is that something that you came up with or is that a teach okay I, yeah no, I'm no, gonna, I, I, I'm I was gonna to give you credit did. for it but <laughs> Could have been young. I don't know. It's okay. it's definitely a you know whoever whoever coined the codependency phrase. Yeah. Um, you know, it's what makes us codependent is we're playing in this triangle, and so yeah, we we we're never going to stay just in one role. We're yeah. always going to play, and it makes a great story. You can't have a story mm-hmm. without these three components. Think about it. Every movie, every exactly. storybook, everything is these you know the victim, the villain, and the hero. Yeah. But. If you can step outside of those roles and instead be a player, mm-hmm. player on the playground of life with curiosity and wonder, um, boy, life is so much better. Yeah. Better, easier, uh, more fun. And, and, and it's a challenge. Trust me. It's not like I live there all the time. No, sir. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wish I could. I totally get That's that. That's yeah, I can I can completely relate to it because we don't have to go into my story, but I come from a very codependent experience as a child too. But I had this very beautiful way of, of being a player, as you say, and and I feel that I've carried that a lot of my life. But I've come to that triangle. Now I'm seeing as you were speaking, I could see, oh, those are the moments that I was locked into the triangle but I was really trying to get out and be the player that I am. And so I'm going to sit with that for a little bit and, and have to journal yeah. about that later. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love journaling. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so you cho- you made this choice. Well, for a little while it was the hero and then you decided, okay, I'm going to be the player and, but still be this advocate, as you said, of all these different populations of, with children and the older population and, and um, and so let's get to where you are with the book. So then there was this betrayal. Was the can you speak to that? Was it this childhood mm. betrayal or many? Mm. Or what's going so on? What's going on, Allie? <laughs> what's the pattern? Yeah. So um, first, let me say yeah. that studies show that ninety five percent of us. 95% of us will experience at least one betrayal in a lifetime. Yeah. And a betrayal is simply a broken promise or agreement. It could be a spoken promise or an unspoken promise, right? Um, but when it hits, and depending on the closeness, so, you know, if um trying to give you an example, like... You know, a friend of mine makes a promise to take care of something and she doesn't. And then as a result, it costs me money. That's a betrayal. But it's it's far enough. It's it's far enough removed. And it's not such a 
big devastating thing. It doesn't completely change my worldview. Um, but the, so the closer it is, if it's a spouse, because most people think in terms of betrayal, infidelity, right? Yeah. Um, but it doesn't have to be. It could be like a client I talked to today it was her boss who went behind her back and undid really beautiful work she did because she couldn't handle her her success, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I asked her, what did it feel like? And she said, like, somebody punched me in the gut. And that's yeah. the feeling uh, of betrayal. It's like a punch in the gut, viscerally. It's a lights go out in your world. Like everything you thought you knew and understood is now in question. Yeah. So it, it really is. And, and what's, what psychologists now have said is that it is... Um, it's very similar symptomatically to PTSD. In fact, mm-hmm. they even call it betrayal trauma, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it can take anywhere from 18 months to three years to heal from it. So this is huge, yeah. right? Uh, I know women, I work mostly with women, and I, I know women who 10 years later are still battling those feelings. Yeah, And so... That is why I feel so deeply that that this is the work I I meant to do because it's it's rampant everywhere. I mean, there are people right now today that feel like they've been betrayed by their country. Yeah, you know, so there th- there are people who feel they've been betrayed by COVID. They've been betrayed by their bodies. I mean, yeah. any time we have something that we expect to be one way and it turns out a different way, and everything about that goes against our beliefs and what we thought we understood it's a betrayal so mm-hmm. yes I was betrayed by my father mm-hmm. um, I was betrayed by friends I was betrayed by bosses I was betrayed so there was a lot of betrayal throughout my life mm-hmm. I never noticed it I never defined it as betrayal mm-hmm. I just you know I was just hurt I was disappointed I was angry all these things um, and uh I've been married twice, and the first husband that I had, God sent him to me. I mean, literally, I said a prayer and said, "Please, you make the choice because I don't. I'm not making good choices. I was picking all bad boys." And one day, I'm driving to school. (laughs) I'm driving to school, and I hear this voice in the back seat of my car. Like people are going to think I'm crazy, but there it was, loudest, not as loud and clear. And it said, "Today is the day." And I'm like, "What?" And um, and I walked into the cafeteria at the university I was at, and there he was. And he literally walked me to class and told my friends he was going to marry me someday. And wow. this man was the father of my children and a very safe, wonderful guy. Mm. Very, very safe, which is what I needed because I had been hurt so much. Yeah. And I, I didn't want to be manipulated. I didn't want to be controlled. The two-year-old inside of me, the little girl who had been molested, yeah. stepped in and made the choice to be with this safe man, yeah. which was wonderful. Until safety was no longer a need. Until that two-year-old part of me had been able to grow up in that relationship and gain some power and not need to be safe anymore. She wanted to stand up in her own right and say, this is what I want, you know? So I divorced him and then I married the second one. Now, the second one was a spitting image of my father, essentially, energetically, right? He... uh, and he was picked by my 15-year-old part of me, the part that was the advocate, the part that said, my dad should love me and he should love me just the way I am. I shouldn't have to be the hero. I shouldn't have to do these things. I shouldn't, you know, he should just love me. Well, that whole marriage was based on that choice. Yeah. And so, of course, again, that was not conscious, right? Um and so what happened was we we were first betrayed by some people we went into business with and lost financially our home, our savings, um, a business that we had gone into with them, forced to sell the other one. We're pulling ourselves out of it again, and then he had an affair with my best friend. Oh, wow. Um, and so that was the end of that marriage. And, of course, it, it had to end like that because I would, there was no part of me that was going to ever give up, yeah. right? I just don't give up. I hang on like forever. <laughs> and so God just closed every door, 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 door until there was no other option yeah. but to leave. 
and and then I had to go through this whole understanding of why I was so easily betrayed and that although initially it was him and her that betrayed me ultimately it was me yeah and that was that was the truth right that I had abandoned myself so many times I had sacrificed myself so many times to be loved that um that betrayal was the only out of that cycle Mm -hmm. it was the only thing that could be my wake-up call yeah. Now, somebody's going through it right now who, who just finds out that it's like, that's not where I go with them because yeah. they can't hear that yet, yeah. you know? Um, and, and most people think that they're broken. But the truth is, we can't be broken. We just can't. Our spirit is, is whole. Mm-hmm. Um, our ego may be broken, but our spirit is whole. And to get people back to wholeness... Uh, I feel like there's just, there's three things that have to happen. You have to know yourself, really know yourself and accept who you are. You have to love yourself. And there's a very specific meaning to that. And you have to honor yourself. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I teach. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I resonate with everything you said. And, and when you and when you were speaking, I was I was actually visualizing, you know, this two year old alley and then this 15 year old alley getting the kind of the bad boy that, you know, reminds you of dad. And it's really quite interesting how you had this really safe marriage, as you said, for how long? Oh, my gosh. Both marriages were 18 years. Oh, long. wow. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So you had this really safe marriage where it felt like, oh, I'm safe. I'm going to step out into the world now. And then it, it went into that, you know, teenage girl alley and, and sort of spiraled her down a bit for 18 right. over. I don't know how, like if it happened over time or, or if it was always there and you just weren't recognizing it. Um, I don't think I really knew. I, 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 re- I realized the choices I made in my first marriage after I came out of it. Mm-hmm. And then it, it, the same thing occurred after I came out of the second one. It wasn't until I was removed from it that I was able to recognize that it was this 15-year-old. Because, you know, I had been told, like so many people are told, that, you know, once you heal something, you're healed. I, I hate using even that word anymore because yeah. I don't know that that's true, right? Um, I mean, if you cut yourself it scars but it's never the same it's it's never going to be the same again right and so i i don't like the word healing because it implies that once the healing is done check you're it good. off the list right check it off yeah, the list, off the list. Yep, yeah. you're good you're i done, can turn right? that part of my brain off <laughs> right yeah no one's gonna yeah, so, no one's gonna hurt me there again yeah no right yeah it's not gonna be a trigger again I mean, i'll never feel sad about that again it's like yeah. oh no 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 yeah no you will transform. Mm-hmm. You will transform the pain. You will understand it. You will gain clarity around it. You will expand in who you are. Yeah. But you could land there again, and and you could you could have sadness when you think about it. The way I explain it to people is like, you know, when you go to a movie and you watch a movie and you start crying at a sad point, mm-hmm. or you you feel scared at a scary point, you know that that's not real. It's not your experience, but you feel it, right? Yeah. So why would you like when I'm telling a story of something that was happy, I get happy, right? Mm-hmm. And I, if it's a funny story, I even laugh. So why wouldn't I feel sad when I tell a story from my life that was sad? Yeah. It doesn't mean that that feeling controls me. Yeah. But it's there, right? Mm-hmm. So these are some of the things that I help people to understand is that we we don't close a door on something and go, "Okay, good." Mm-mm. And and unfortunately, that belief system, when people come back into counseling and go, well, I thought I worked on this. And the answer is, well, it's another layer of the onion. Ugh, God, I can't stand that. <laughs> no. Oh, no, 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 no. 
No, it doesn't go away. You transform it. You understand it. You learn to to take responsibility for some of it. You learn to uh, discern better the next time. You you start to become more aware of the reasons you make the choices that you make. You know, yeah. you ask yourself questions that you might never have asked yourself before. Yeah. And when when I realized, I I'd, I remember having this experience. Um, this was like two years in, or not, maybe not maybe about a year into it, um, where I was driving on the freeway and there was there was this hotel that I passed and I went, oh my gosh, yeah, I remember staying there with my husband. Yeah. And I realized I could have that memory and it didn't hurt anymore. Mm. And that's when I knew that there had been a transformation because mm. what I recognized was I... I wanted to be able, I didn't want to be so angry about what happened and be so blaming or shaming to myself that I would not allow myself to have these memories because it was, it was 18 years of my life, yeah. right? I, it, to, to negate it would mean that I would have to close the door on all the memories and I didn't want that to happen. I wanted to be able to say, you know, as bad as it was, there were also some really fun times. There were also some really good times. There were also some very tender moments moments right um it still ended the way it did it is what it is and I can go back and go you know that was fun yeah I I I like that I can do that now you know that's so good and I think that's so important to recognize you know especially when there is as you're you're saying a betrayal because we do we just want to think that whole that whole experience with that person or that situation maybe it's a job um, whatever it is, we just want to make sure that everything around it is is dark and put it in a corner and, and forget about it. And if it comes up again, it can't be a good memory. And I think mm-hmm. that's really important. What you're you're recognizing is that we can remember those spaces of joy, and that there was you your 15 year old self made a choice because she wanted joy. She just wanted it in in somewhat of an unhealthy way. But she mm-hmm. she had the best of intentions for you, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then once I realized that, then I, the grown up, the sleeping yeah. giant, I call myself, yeah. um, I'm able to parent that 15 year old, give her what mm-hmm. she needs, so she doesn't have to keep going out there and looking for it. Yeah. So, can we talk a little bit about this book, like how your story is is helping others through the your book and I mean your teaching too, yeah. but. Yeah, it's so interesting. Because like I said, I I did not want to publish this book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I I it was here's this is one thing I would say to anybody who buys this book to do it this way, right? Okay. And that is um, when I wrote it, I woke up in the middle of the night and the words were there. So I sat down and I I wrote as if I was talking to another sister who was going through the same thing as me Mm. like oh my god it's three o'clock in the morning and my brain I can't shut my brain off do you have that and I even ask the questions Mm. right and so I write about it and then I'm then I'm done all the feelings come out and I'm done and then two days later I'm like I wake up in the middle of the night again and I'm like oh I gotta write again but before I started writing I went back and I read what I'd already written from the beginning every time I started writing this book I would go back to the beginning and read it and what that did for me and why I'm telling people do this for yourself is that it helped me to see that I had done some work Mm-hmm. that something had shifted in me something was being transformed it also showed me where I dipped back into the pain mm-hmm. and what I did with it so behind each entry is what I call insights which is like where I'm having another conversation of here's what I get here's what I got out of that yeah. right this is the, this is the piece that's important for you to remember because I'm just sharing my experience this is what I'm feeling um, there was a point at which I was feeling very suicidal and I wrote about that because that does happen when you are suffering from betrayal trauma. And because you feel like you're completely alone, even though you may have tons of people around you, you feel like you're completely alone. Yeah. And so um, so that's how I wrote the book. And so it, it goes from this place of powerlessness, helplessness, despair through disappointment 
anger, disappointment, neutrality, hope, uh, you know, excitement, fun, like all the way through dating. Like what happened when I, after 40 years with two men, went back out into the dating world (laughs) in a new world, online world, you know, and what I discovered about myself. So one of the things that I teach is when you get back into the dating world, don't do it looking for the one. You are the one. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Do it instead as an experiment to learn more and more about yourself, not an experiment and to figure out them. They are who they are, right? And and as you attract them into your life, it's another experience for you to get to know yourself. And so that's, and so I share what I learned from every guy that I met along the way. They were all gifts to me. Mm -hmm. Um, So that. That that's that's the book, and I think I think one of the things that I feel is so important for people to understand is this: when you are feeling so helpless and powerless, and you're in this place of deep despair, and your worldview is shaken to the core, um, the only way out of that place is through your anger. But we live in a world and in a culture that doesn't know what to do with anger. And so I remember for myself that every time I would start to connect to that righteous anger that I felt and I start to talk about it and it would start to come out, people would say, oh, no, 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 stop. You can't do that. You're going to end up being a bitter old woman. You have to forgive. And, And I'd be like, oh, God, you're right. You're right. And so I would squash the anger. But to suppress anger. Yeah takes you only one place and that's back into that depression into that that sadness into that helplessness Mm. so you got to choose the right person to express this to but it has to come out Mm. it has to come out in a healthy way obviously you know um i'm in some groups infidelity groups and i hear oh i want to go and scratch his tires like oh god no 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 because then you'll you'll hate yourself right that's not what this is about you may have some problems too if you get caught (laughs) you got you got to get that anger out because once you burn it like the phoenix once that burns through then you come to a place where you can now start to get more perspective Mm -hmm. and um and the pain isn't so visceral anymore you know yeah Oh, there's so much there. Before we could talk a little bit about anger, because I really want to sit there. I actually just wrote a letter to anger the other day to re- to, oh, nice. to visit it a bit. But you spoke about when you feel betrayal, and um, I can't remember exactly how you worded it, but not feeling like you could trust anybody else, even though mm-hmm. you said you know you felt so alone. But even though you know you have the support system, but you felt. Can you speak to that a little bit more? Yeah, so um, what it really turned out, first you think, you know, I mean, my best friend and my husband, these are the two people I would have gone to under any other circumstance. All of a sudden, they're the people that I can't trust at all. And the fact that I trusted them and now I can't makes me feel like I'm an idiot. I'm stupid. I'm an idiot. I'm a fool. I'm all these things. But what it really comes down to is that I never trusted me. Because when I look back after I'd gotten some distance from it, I could see that there were signs, there were things going on mm-hmm. that I didn't want to see. Yeah, There always are. You know, people go, oh, I never in a million years thought, no, 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 you, you did. You just didn't want to look at it. Mm-hmm. And then you beat yourself up because you can't trust you. And that's one of the things that has to be rebuilt is your own inner trust. I remember when this happened to me, my family, my kids, I was living in one town, my kids lived three hours away, all four of them came to me. My mom flew up, my sister flew up, my my whole family just to be with me, right? And I'll never forget the feeling when one night they were all sitting around the table and they're laughing and eating and I'm in the other room and I am just hysterical I'm devastated and I'm thinking how can they laugh Mm. you know my world has fallen apart how can they laugh and I felt that many many times where I would look around and other people were enjoying life and 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 friends were life went on you know this Mm. this devastating thing happened to me and I was living it day in and day out and they they love me and they care about me and when they call they want they want to hear me say yes I'm great 
Yeah. They can't handle me not being great. Yeah. And that's why you don't, you feel so isolated because no one really can be as much as they want to. They just, they just can't. And, and their life does go on and you sit there going, you know, they're happy. They're, yeah. they're having a life, but I'm not. Yeah. That's why. That's why it's so hard. Yeah. I, I can really resonate with what you were saying specifically to, you know, trusting yourself you know, you trusted these two people that you would have, you know, you trusted your life with in so many ways prior to that. And all of a sudden, worlds turned upside down. And, and, and I loved how you compared betrayal to PTS, because it's, it's very similar, you know, we it's a traumatic event, you have no control, you don't feel safe. And that's exactly what what's happening in the betrayals that you don't, you don't have, there's these external factors that are turning your world upside down. And so, yeah, and then to, to not feel like you could trust anybody else because really you, ch- you were the one who chose those two people to be close to. And so what right. am I going to do here now? The other people that are in my circle, how can I trust them? Right. Yeah. Well, and, you know, for me specifically, and I, I can't say this to be true for everybody, but mm-hmm. I used to be one of these people who, um, who said, I trust everybody. Mm-hmm. I, I do. I trust everybody. They have to show me not to trust them. So there's you know, there's yeah. two ways you can do this. You can yeah. either be one of these people who says, no, I don't trust anybody until they prove to me that they're trustworthy. Yeah. Or you can be somebody like I was thinking I was that I trust everybody until they prove otherwise. Yeah. Right. But what I realized was neither of those things was actually true. Mm-hmm. That the reason that I trusted them was not because I was a trusting person. The reason I trusted them was because I didn't trust me. Yeah. Right? And so if I don't trust me as an authority of me, then I'm going to believe whatever you tell me. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put my trust in your opinion, in your uh, view of the world. Yeah. Until you prove differently because I don't have one of my own. And that was a huge thing for me to learn. Yeah. When you just said that, I had this vision of you being in the passenger seat and just letting that other person drive like, oh, I trust you. I'll go to sleep. I'll trust you. And they're driving off the side of the cliff and you're still saying like with your eyes closed, oh, I trust you because you just don't want to be the driver. Right. Right. Exactly. That's beautiful. Do you mind if I use that metaphor? Oh, sure. Yeah, totally. That's a good one. Yes. Yeah. It's, yes, it's exactly like that. So yeah. so what shifted for you to feel that you could trust you? I mean, I'm sure it was over time, but is there something that, you know, you could offer here of, you know, of service to somebody else who's in that place? Um, you know, one of the things that I, I, I think this is how it happened for me, and this is what I want others who work with me to start to do and that is to really become neutral with yourself and aware at the same time Mm. because our our bodies are always talking to us one of the things that I learned really early on is that my mind can lie to me yeah and where most people might not believe what I'm going to say, your heart can also lie to you. Yeah. The only part that cannot lie is your body. So true. Right. So I remember about a year and a half, well, maybe not that far, maybe it was about eight months after I left and went out on my own. One morning I woke up and I sat up in bed and I went, wait, what? What's different? And what I realized was my body had stopped shaking. I did not know that it was shaking all the time until it had stopped. Mm. That there was this visceral thing going on that actually had gone. I knew it like the last two years of my marriage. I kept going from doctor to doctor and saying, I don't understand. But when I'm in bed, I'm literally vibrating. I could feel it internally. I used to think it was him moving, but it wasn't. It was me. Mm. What I didn't realize was that it wasn't just when I was in bed. It was all the time. Yeah, it was just That's when you're how still and noticing. disconnected I was from what was actually going on. My body, though, knew. My body knew it all the time, right? Yeah. So the first thing that I teach is that get really connected to your body. Mm-hmm. Begin to listen to your body instead of your head or your heart. Because 
that's where the truth is. So, so when you walk into the room, any room, if you sense your body feeling tight or upset or, or nervous, question that. Mm-hmm. You know, what is it that just changed around me? And if you don't know the answer but you, and you can't rid yourself, just pull yourself out of that situation because yeah. something in you knows right so that that's the first part of learning to trust yourself is to really become aware of what your body is telling you and then i think the second part is to know that your thoughts are (laughs) i mean we have eighty thousand thoughts a day okay most of them are meaningless yeah (laughs) and most of them are repetitive yeah and we have to be able to say Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. And not act upon. Yeah. Or believe what we hear from ourselves. (laughs) Yeah. I have such a big smile on my face because that's what I teach as well of knowing your body, you know, understanding these messages that your body's always giving. We only recognize the body when, well, you, in your instance, when it was gone, but when we're injured or when we're sick and, and we think that, well, how did this happen? But it's our body just tapping us on the shoulder or the knee or whatever it is that we're feeling that the pain, it's just getting louder and louder until we're listening to it. So um, I loved how you brought that back to trust, learning how to trust yourself, because that's what, exactly what I teach, too, is how do you feel what trust is? How do you feel what knowing is in your body? So that when you are in situations like you're describing, then you can actually listen and go, oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah I love that. Yeah, because, you know, even having, like, your body memory is actually much more... Um, valid Mm -hmm. than your thought memory or your feeling memory right so one of the things that i love to teach people is that desire is a natural state of our beingness right we come with this desire you can see it in nature right the desire to grow and expand and bloom and and even the desire for decay and reconstruction all of that right but very early on we are told that we want too much Mm -hmm. that we can't have everything we want Mm -hmm. that we're being selfish because we want so much um that that uh be grateful for what you have right so we're conditioned to not allow our desire or our want so if you take away the want well then the the only next level of agreement is that if i can't have what i want at least i can have what i need Mm -hmm. but then in many of us especially women we are taught that your needs have to come second your children have to be first Mm -hmm. your your boss your husband your you know your parents your needs are secondary so if we can't have our need then the only place for us to go is what I call below, below the line into all the negative feelings. So anger, irritation, grief, yeah. uh, shame, blame, all of it. All of it sits underneath that need and want, yeah. right? So here's an example. Can okay. I share this oh, with you? Oh, please. Yeah, share it. Share away. <laughs> I'm going to steal it. <laughs> oh, my God. So, so what back. I discovered was that... Um, you know, people say, well, your thoughts create your feelings. Yeah. I always disagreed with that. Yeah. I, I was like, no, I have a feeling. And then I, then my mind yeah. takes over to find the story or the reason yeah. for the feeling, right? But what I realize in working with people is that even before you have a feeling, you have a sensation. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. you have a sensation in your body. So when we are taught not to listen to that little bit of sensation, mm-hmm. that sensation becomes a feeling, which then becomes a thought. Okay, so we're following me so far, right? Oh, yeah, I'm feeling you. This is what I teach. So one day, this is a perfect example, and it's (laughs) I'm sitting in a board meeting that I'm running, a nonprofit organization, and there's about eight of us around this table, and this woman is talking, 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 and I'm listening, listening, and pretty soon I am feeling irritated and then my mind takes over and I'm thinking geez lady shut up you just talking they're saying that same thing over and over again I can't stand it I'm like ready to just gag her right and I have enough wherewithal still to look around the room and I notice nobody else seems aggravated or irritated or angry they're all like just wrapped into what she is saying and I'm yeah. thinking okay 
this is me. So I pull my energy back and I go back into myself. I go, what's going on? And I realize I have to pee. (laughs) (laughs) So I excuse myself. I go to the bathroom. I come back. My body now is at peace. I sit down. She's still talking. And now I'm like, wow, she's so interesting. What a great (laughs) idea. (laughs) I love it. Isn't that it? And that's really how it works. So yeah. when when we have uh, what I what I want people to notice, especially when they're going through this, right, mm-hmm. is that if there was a want that they didn't listen to, and then it turns into a need. If I want I want a glass of water, but I don't have time. I'm sitting here and I'm on camera. I don't want to you know be drinking, right? Yeah. So I say no to myself. But now I'm really getting thirsty and it's turning into a need, right? I need that glass of water, but I still can't give it to myself. And pretty soon I'm going to start to feel antsy. My body is going to react. <laughs> yep. So, so many times these thoughts we have and even the feelings we have, are connected to a sensation in our body. And much of the time it is, we're thirsty, we're hungry, we're tired, we need to go to the bathroom. Yeah. We need to breathe. It's one of those five things that if we just ah, take a nice deep breath or drink a glass of water, we will notice that our body just, all the little, you know, cells in our body start to relax. And when they do, we don't have to try to turn that sensation into a feeling that we then have to find a reason for having, which is yeah. what the brain does. That's what the mind is there for. <laughs> yeah. Make sense? Yes, it does. I love it. Yeah. Yep. We're, we're talking the same language, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, uh, in terms of that and where we were going earlier about anger, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, what mm. you were just, you were saying before of, you know, it needs to have some sort of an expression before the... Right. We don't like the word healing here, but before the the transformation, let's say, before the phoenix as it transforms. So can you, yeah, dive into that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's obviously many different ways, right? So you can grab a pillow and start pounding. And um, I've done all of these things. So Mm -hmm. there's ways to get that anger out. The problem is it it feels forced mm-hmm. if you try to do it when you're not really feeling it. Mm-hmm. So what's important is for people to make a list for themselves of where is it safe for me to express my anger? There might be, for me, one of the places was a coach I was working with, right? And she happened to call me and realized I was in a bad place. And she said, I'm calling you back in two hours. Answer the phone. I said, Okay. And when she called me back, she just started screaming. But I said, hello. And she said, that son of a bitch. We're going to go get him. What did he do now? And she just was like ranting. Mm-hmm. And I could I remember feeling the heat building in my body. And I'm like, yeah, he did this. And he did this. And I just did it so much until whew, it burnt out. Yeah. Right. So, but you got to pick that person very, very carefully. You don't want to be giving this, this beautiful moment of expressing and putting fire to this, to someone who's going to judge you or try to stop you or is afraid of your anger. It has to be somebody who is equipped and who understands that, that this anger is not a bad thing. Right. It's, it's part of the transformation. So that's one way. The other is to have uh, a list of things you can do, like um, like taking a pillow and you just start saying yes to all the things you want and no to all the things you don't want in your life. And if you have someone there who can help you to do it, like who throws it at you, you know, what about, you know, your body? Yes, I want my body to be my body, you know, that kind of thing. That's another way to release it. Um, (laughs) I've had, like you did, I love that you said you had a conversation with anger. So I did a conversation with, um, with grief. Mm-hmm. So you do a little ritual, right? Where if if you're into that, which I am, um, you know, I lit a candle and, and I, everything was nice and dark and I invited grief in and I personified her in front of me mm-hmm. and I shared with her everything I felt and she took it in and anger is part of grief, right? Yeah. So that's 
one of the ways. Another journaling is like a magical moment because there is something that occurs between the information here coming through your hand. It's that eye-hand coordination that... um, you might start out with ranting and raving and oh, I'm so nervous, but you will move past it into wisdom yeah. in journaling, which is why, you know, a lot of times I used to insist on it. I don't so much anymore. Um, but it, I think if you, if you journal, you will move through things so much faster. Yeah. It's a way to have a conversation with yourself that you can't lie to yourself about. Yeah. And that's important, yeah. you know? So, um, you know, get in your car and drive someplace and just scream at the top of your lungs. <laughs> yeah, I've done that. You know, you've got to get it out. You just got to get it out. Yeah. Uh, I just, I, I, I didn't realize, I mean, you know, people talk about depression being such a rampant disorder, right? Um, but it, it, it's unfortunate that we call it depression because it's not really depression. It's suppression. Mm-hmm. Um, depression is not anger. I mean, I'm sorry, it's not sadness. Yeah, it's not. It's, it's a lack of any feeling. It's a place of complete apathy. Mm-hmm. It's a numbness that occurs that then create, then, then from that comes anxiety because we aren't allowing ourselves to feel anything and the yeah. body starts to get anxious about that, you know? Yeah. Um, and so <clears throat> I just think that it's so important to make every one of your feelings are valid. And just because you feel something doesn't mean you have to act on it. And, and, and it doesn't mean that it's who you are. It's just a feeling. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. I, I want to, the first one that you were talking about with finding a safe person, I think that's really important, especially because when you were speaking to it, I was thinking of, you know, you could also potentially re-trigger yourself in that, that betrayal. You could create that experience with the other person. If they're not a safe person and you just dumped this anger on them, then they could leave you or, you know, whatever, and, and then not feel safe with that person again. And it, it somewhat right. re-triggers you. Yeah. Yeah. Very great insight on your part. Cause that actually yeah. did happen to me. Yeah. Um, I was sharing with somebody and she said, you know, I just cannot handle your negativity anymore. Yeah. And I was like, I, I felt like I had just been beaten up. I felt like yeah. I had just been, you know, the, the bad dog whipped again. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's a double whammy because not only is that person now also abandoning you and, and somebody you thought you could trust. And again, they're showing you, you can't, but it's also an internal whammy because once again, you made a poor choice, yeah. right? You, you, you made a bad decision for yourself. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And, and I'll, I'll say not all therapists are skilled at this either. So, you know, you're going to have to interview somebody who believes that it's okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I had, I had a therapist. She recommended to watch inside out. Have you seen that Pixar movie inside out? Oh yeah. 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 And it was, um, they, you know, all the emotions were personified as these little characters mm-hmm. and it was mostly about sadness. I think it was sad that she wasn't allowing herself to feel sad and, and why it was and it, it basically showed the story of why, you know, sad was necessary. Right. Yeah. I don't know if you would have passed that along to your people, but yeah, no, I do. I do. And I, um, but I, I'm, I, it's so funny because you can see it in our culture so well, you know, mm-hmm. um, we don't, we don't like women to be angry. No, we just, don't, we don't trust them. And we don't want men to be sad. Right. right. Yeah. So we would just put yeah. those band-aids on, stop your crying yeah. or yeah. Don't, yeah, it's don't like, it, it, I remember when I was watching one of the debates and Elizabeth Warren got angry and I thought, yeah. Oh honey, that's too bad. You just lost the race. Oh, and sure yeah. enough, yeah. a week later, yeah. you know, um, because we can't, we're not allowed. And in, in, especially in this country, we're just not allowed. Yeah. And, um, and that's a big disservice because there's a lot of power in anger. Yeah. Right. It doesn't have to be bully. You don't have to be a bully and a meanie and a, you know, a bad person. 
but you have the right to express your righteous indignation. <laughs> yeah. I, so. yeah, I just to speak to that a little bit, I don't have so much the societal, you know, oppression of anger. It's more of, you know, I was, my father was very angry. He was abusive. And so I, I was afraid to embody that for myself. I was afraid what I would, I might do what he did. And so that's um, something to, for, for, I think that is hard if we've been around anger in a, in a rather scary way too. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. My father was like that too, obviously. Yeah. And, um, but I was the oldest yeah. and what I saw was that it wasn't just me. I mean, he believed my mother too. And yeah. at that time she didn't have very high self-esteem. So what I saw was that his anger made her worse, made her sick, made her mm-hmm. weak um, and unhappy. And so I, I would temper it until I couldn't handle it anymore. And then I would let it out. But then I would be judged. I would yeah. quickly be told that I was a crazy kid and, you know, all, all these bad things yeah. so that oh, I had to close it back down again, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. Huh. It's an important piece. Yeah, it is. We have to start to wrap up because I know I want to honor your time here, but I could talk to you all afternoon. <laughs> I know. I could talk to you too. You know, one thing I do want to connect yeah. with because this is the name yes. of, you know, your podcast exactly. is all about the in-between. And, yes. and I want to share that there's um, in every transition, in every experience that we have that is a change, there is an ending of some kind Mm -hmm. and then there is this in between and then then the new beginning right and so my book is actually divided up into that and I used of course the transformation the metamorphosis of the butterfly where the cocoon until we have outlived that life and then we it's an ending because it no longer serves us and we end up in this cocoon this in between that is mushy and messy and Mm -hmm. and unknown and just gross uh, and uncontrollable. And it is the place in which the expansion and the growth occurs so that we then become this butterfly in in a new beginning in our life. And so, you know, I invite people to, um, to treasure that in between, to learn to live in that space of unknown, to, to invite the messy and the ugly because it is in the messy and the ugly that we find the diamonds mm-hmm. right and um i i really do believe that there is no really truly good and bad that there isn't an agenda um i feel like i, I actually did a speech once in a church and, and i asked the question do you believe that before we come to this life we are one with all there is god source universe whatever and everybody nodded mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so we are omnipotent we know it all we have it all you know we, yes and when we leave do we rejoin that energy yes yeah. then why would we come here to become enlightened yeah that was my question yeah. why are we here thinking there is something we have to do to get what right <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we already have it. We had it before we came. We're going to have it again when we leave. Yeah. So what if this is just what it is? It is what it is. It's an experience. Yeah. And if we can allow ourselves to let life be that for us, just like it is for the cows and the trees and the frogs, right? Then maybe, maybe maybe we will have the life we actually want to live where we are one and we don't have to struggle with each other. And there is no fear and, 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 and all these things that hurt because, because they wouldn't hurt us if we didn't judge them as wrong mm-hmm. or bad. Uh, I'm so glad I know drop the mic. Yeah. I am so glad. I mean, we wanted to talk about, that piece of your book. And I'm so glad that you, you circled back to it because it's so important to remember that there's so many good things that you said there. And I feel like if I even comment, we'll be here for another hour. So let's just leave it there. And then we can maybe come back again another time you and I and talk. But, I would love that. Oh, yeah, Ali, it's so beautiful. You're, I love hearing about your journey and how you're helping and empowering others to embrace their 
their experiences of betrayal and really, you know, start to care for themselves and love themselves and, and trust themselves again. So thank you for, you know, all that you have done for yourself and for this world. It's no, oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It's my honor. And I, I've given you a link to, to offer to your listeners yes. um, for a little ebook that I wrote that Love is it. about self care. And it's kind of like the first steps of understanding what you're going through and giving yourself grace and learning to start to make yourself first. Yes. So, so. We're, that freebie will be in the links of the show notes. And then also we'll have your website, a direct link to your website. And just as Perfect. if people are driving now, um, what is the, what's your website? How can people follow you? It's, it's Coach Allie, which is A-L-I Davidson.com. Okay, good. Wonderful. And we'll have that direct link in the show notes too. Perfect. Well, Thank such you, a pleasure. Thank you so much. And yeah, it was fun. we'll do it again. <laughs> All right. Sounds awesome. Thank you. Sure. So yes, there you go, my friends, our beautiful time with Allie. I hope you got something out of it. It definitely, as I said before, shifted my perspective. And please share this with somebody who has gone through the story of betrayal. This might serve them. And please share all of these stories of the space in between. I think it's safe to say that we have all been in the space in between before, going through the space in between right now. And if these stories sit with you, resonate with you, and you feel that you can share them with somebody else, please do. That keeps us alive. It keeps us being able to show up for you all. And some other ways that you can be a part of our Nomadland, again, our community membership, it's only $40 a month. We have various gatherings throughout the month centered around the theme. Right now, we're just wrapping up our theme of spiritual bypassing, how to dig into the spiritual practices to really transform your life. So we'll just have to see what happens in April. You'll have to come back and see how we're doing. Jean Marie, my one of my teachers for, gosh, almost 20 years now, she will be hosting the events in April, or at least one of the events in April. And we have lots of other cool stuff happening. My Who Are You Becoming, a six-week self-paced online course that you can dig into right now. There's lots of different expanded awareness practices like my Movement 109 somatic practice to get you into your body. There are videos of that each week. I also have guided meditations there for you each week as well as journal prompts and action steps to integrate these spiritual practices and expanded awareness practices into your life. Really embody it and manifest what you want with these practices. So you can find out more over at nomadalwaysatome.com. And we also are starting, I've already started these live weekly calls. If you want to integrate the self-paced practice also with the community, I will be there every week hosting you, cheering you on, giving you individual tools that might help you just more fully embody your, your journey. So I will see you there, my friends. You can find out more at nomadalwaysathome.com. And you can also find more about me at phoebeleona.com. All right. Have a beautiful day, everybody.